Tonight's reading is from the first chapter of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came for testimony to bear witness to the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness to the light. The true light that enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was made in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world knew him not. He came to his own hometown, and his own people received him not. But to all who received him, he belie- who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. We have beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. John bore witness to him and cried, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, for he was before me. And from his fullness have we all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only Son who is in the bosom of the Father. He has made him known. The word of the Lord. Imagine if you were a pioneer and you lived in North Dakota and it was winter and it was before radio and TV, obviously, because you're like a pioneer, like giants in the earth. And you didn't even have many books because you had to be really careful about what you chose to put on the wagon before you left New York. And and you're in your little cabin and it's like a blizzard outside and all you hear, all you hear for hours and hours and hours is the sound of the wind and the sound of the fire when you open the wood stove or the sound of yourself buttering a pan. And then finally, just before dark, your husband comes in after putting the cows away and he speaks. Finally, all day, no words, and then a word. Hello, honey or whatever a pioneer might say. And it's the first word you've come into contact with all day. If you lived in a cabin in North Dakota in 1890 and words were rare, the word was with God might seem like some meaningful and beautiful thing to say, some warmth in the cold, cold night. 
but we're not pioneers. And we have cell phones growing out of our heads. It's common for people to have three conversations going on at once. You're talking to your colleague while you're writing an email, when your wife calls, and you take the call on yourself. How long before, how long after you wake up before you open your computer? Not long for me, presto, hundreds of words. No, way more than hundreds, an avalanche, thousands, tens of thousands, I don't know. Words, words, Charlie Sheen's wife is pressing charges. Some woman I used to know in high school, Mr. Flight in L.A., and is describing her interactions with the airline employees. Justin Rubin wants me to add my name to a petition. Elton John says he's hoping Eminem fight drugs. An avalanche. You can barely dig yourself out of a suffocating pile of words before breakfast. People often don't seem to have that much to say, but they just go on talking and talking and talking. On mid-morning, they're discussing the sound effect. I can't remember what it was called, and they're playing clips from Star Wars movies and Harrison Ford movies where they use the sound effect. And they're talking, and they're talking, and they're talking, and they're talking about a sound effect. People speak without saying anything or saying the same thing over and over and over again. Whatever, it's all good, 24-7. It was totally random, exactly. (laughs) Words have come to be the opposite of elucidating. They don't reveal, they actually conceal false conversations. Do you know what I mean? Political speeches, administrators, officials, news conferences. I've quit listening even very carefully to Obama. We suffer from an excess of information broadcast everywhere about everything all the time. Someone has a red sauce on their stove, is going to lunch at Blink Bonnie, shifted their buttocks on a chair. Words and words and words and words, incessant narcissistic chatter, devoid of meaning. We aren't pioneers. 10,000 words of information in an instant. We would go crazy if we really had to listen to all this seriously. The word was with God. Well, it's like, I'm sorry, God that the word was with you. Better to have a nice big hunk of cheese with you or a bottle of wine or a nice crusty loaf of bread. How about in the beginning was silence and the quiet was with God and the silence was God. The word, a meaningless sound arbitrarily assigned to signify something. What? Whoever knows? You don't. The signifier is unrelated to the signified. Grab onto something solid that you can hold in your hand, taste something in your mouth. Words are insipid, commodified. Love, taken down by Hallmark. Peace, they've got it on Gap t-shirts. Transformation, it's a website for Viagra. (laughs) Blank, blank, blankety blank practically has more impact than the word. To say in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, that's not particularly comforting somehow. Because you know, like on the other hand, not on the bright side, but on the other hand, the word is actually powerful. Powerful like a dictator. It dictates reality. 
I'm taught a language which prescribes my reality, my world, my being in the world without my ever having a chance to discover it differently. Without my ever choosing it, words shape us. They dictate what you can even think about. From the moment you're born, you're conscripted into a limited reality. False dualisms imposed on your brain. Good, bad, right, wrong, black, white, boy, girl, even. Why not burl? I'm a burl, actually. Maybe you're a goy, or a schmurl, or a whirl, you know? Why all the rigid dualism, man? It's not the truth. Mama, papa? Why not ma-pa? No one is white. Things aren't simply good and bad. Most are gad or bud. Gay, straight? Come on. We receive a language when we are just helpless babies, and it tyrannizes our thoughts. You can't really say what you want. You're obliged, more or less, to reproduce the stereotypical discourse. We are pre-programmed to speak the schemes that are already there. And have these schemes been helpful? Us, them. It's like an affection all over the place. What if there was no us and them, only U-M? Good guys, bad guys don't exist. Everyone's a gugaba guy, really. I mean, are you feeling me at all? Or is it just gibberish? It's the people in power, you know, who impose their language. It's like we're conditioned in this very insidious way to agree with the dominant ideology. The colonialists for the most obvious example, impose their language on the people they colonized. The ruling class makes the oppressed class learn its language in order to turn the oppressed into prisoners of their ideology, to prevent them from even thinking differently, to make them an obedient, bleeding flock English. Oh my gosh. Do you know how many languages used to be spoken in America? Thousands, thousands of different ways to say things wiped out by the colonialists and the conquistadors. What kind of reality did Anishinaabe create? Navajo, I don't know. But it was definitely different than the imperial reality. The word is an instrument of social control, and it's scarier than the police or censorship, since it's internalized. It's an element of control anchored in your unconscious, lodged there at an age when you can't even react or protest. We have swallowed and ingested the dictator before we're even completely conscious. We can't speak without reflecting the dominant ideology. Does that make you feel trapped at all? The word was with God. The word was God. God is the word? That could sound not good. 
When you think of words and power and control and the empire, like God is dominant, the word, the supreme dictator, the colonialist extraordinaire, a tyrant who is after total social control, the most dominant ideology, God is dominant, dominance, the tyrant who wants to keep his prisoners to one way of thought. If the word is God, Does that mean that God is the one, the thing, the power that controls the world? Is God all about keeping us prisoners to God's ideology to prevent us from thinking? Any other thoughts except the thoughts that somehow God wants us to think? Is that what it means to say in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made? Yuck. I'm sorry, but I hate that God. People have been telling that story about God for a long, 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 long time. Greeks and Romans and Incas and Aztecs, people tell that story about God every day. We know about powerful deities, about what they want from us, about what they demand. It's hard to even tell a different story when you start out with the word God. Like we know what that word means. But the author of John is definitely up for trying to tell a completely different story. The word was with God, and the word was God, and all things that were made were made through the word. But when the word came, the people didn't even recognize it. It was so unlike what they'd become accustomed to. So small or different or like an entirely different language, meek. It was so unlike somehow what they already knew. And this word did not subject their thoughts to its control. In fact, they rejected it. And it was rejected. It didn't come and repress. It was repressed. God didn't remain silent But this word is the farthest thing from a tyrant. It's hard to tell the story of God another way, but John's going to try really, really, really hard. He doesn't tell the story of an all-powerful tyrant. He looks for a way to describe this word. He doesn't say it's like dynamite or thunder or lightning. He doesn't say it comes across loud and clear like God was trying to transmit accurate information without the possibility of miscommunication. John doesn't have God up in the sky on some walkie-talkie like signaling us. Did you get the information straight? And the people say, Roger, you're coming through loud and clear. The word is a revelation. It isn't like the dissemination of information. It's not like dynamite or thunder or loud and clear. John's fishing around trying to figure out how to describe this word, and he says it was like light. He also says it's like water when you're thirsty. He says it's like bread that you eat. 
How do you hear that word? Hear light, hear water, hear bread with your mouth and your hands and your tongue, maybe. God doesn't remain silent, but the word became flesh, John says. That's definitely different. The word isn't a sound that slides through your ear. It has hands and feet. It moved and lived and breathed and died. It went into the grave and began to decay. And then it got back up and lived some more. That's some word. It might be hard to pin down exactly what it means, but it seems warm and meaningful and thick and beautiful and precious. It's not a word that eliminated uncertainty. It's not a word that gives absolute clarity. It isn't like the dictator. It's not something rigid and tyrannical. It's something so lively that all the words we have can't quite capture it. And not really because it's so big or so great or so powerful. Those words are dumb, practically, for what it is. It doesn't dominate and enslave. The author of John can't talk enough about how it frees. We've unwittingly swallowed and ingested the dictator. This is our opportunity to swallow and ingest freedom. And may eating it give us an entirely new way to conceive grace upon grace upon grace.